Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first, we start with the latest on the battle over policing in the city of Surrey. Now, remember, Surrey wants to keep the RCMP. The province wants to continue with the transition to the new Surrey Police Service. The stakes on this one got raised yesterday. I've got Peter German standing by to discuss here. First, let's have a listen to Mike Sir. He is the administrator for the Surrey Police Service. They introduced a budget yesterday for this year for Surrey Police Service, $141.5 million. It includes a plan to hire 180 more police officers. Have a listen. I believe this budget, along with its underlying assumptions, will give City Council confidence in the numbers associated with moving this transition forward. Okay. okay, City of Surrey not confident at all about that. Let's discuss it with my guest, Peter German. Peter is a lawyer, he's a law enforcement expert. He's a consultant for the City of Surrey on this file. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Peter, thank you for coming on. Mike, it's a pleasure. And I can also tell you that that sticker issue was totally predictable, but that's another issue altogether. Okay, I'm gonna have to have you back <laughs> to talk about that, <laughs> all right? Uh, so, Peter, let's talk about this situation here. We got a budget that was introduced yesterday by the Surrey Police Service, $141.5 million. I want to get your thoughts on this from the City of Surrey's perspective. Let's listen to Mike Sir again here. He's the administrator for the Surrey Police Service here on this budget. Let's listen. The budget is fully aligned with the City of Surrey's 2023 to 2027 financial plan. Okay, is that true, Peter? Well, it's not about true or false. It's really about uh, there's there's something missing here. A city council hasn't even has not approved a 24 budget yet. Uh, this is yeah. this is their submission. This is the Surrey Police Board or the administrators' submission. We're a long way from a budget approval. The RCMP doesn't even have its budget for next year. The RCMP budgets on a fiscal year year that ends March 31st. So w what they have been looking at is unclear. Uh, obviously, they've been looking at their own numbers, but how that jives with the city of Surrey, uh, council, uh, council will make its own decision. And, um, you know, the RCMP is waiting for its budget. So you can't just dictate this is what we want and expect the Surrey taxpayer to pay it. Is this going to cost Surrey taxpayers even more? This is my fear here, is that taxpayers are caught in the middle of this thing, you're getting burned to a crisp. Is this going to make it even worse? Well, there's nothing really new in what was announced yesterday because they provided their provisional budget in November, and the city of Surrey uh, has made it very clear that any transition to a municipal department will be extremely expensive to the citizens of Surrey and will inevitably lead to double-digit tax uh, increases because they're looking at somewhere by the city's own figures, the city's professional staff have figured that over 10 years, you're looking at close to a half billion dollars in increase. 
um, if, if you go uh, to the municipal model. And, and I, that is just for starters. We have no plan here, Mike, and that's the big problem. Uh, there's, there is this fixation on getting numbers, hiring wherever you can hire people, hiring retirees, but there's no plan. There still is no plan. The province has not provided the city with a plan, nor has the police board or the police service. Speaking of Peter German, Peter's a consultant to the city of Surrey on the policing plan here. Let's have another listen here to Mike Sir, the administrator there for the, the new Surrey Police Service, talking about this budget. He says it includes a plan to hire more police officers, actually hire a lot more police officers. Let's have a listen, Peter, then I'll get your thoughts. This transition sure. is well underway. About 215 SPS officers are now deployed, making up 30% of the police force serving the people of Surrey today. The 2024 budget allocates a hiring target of 180 additional police officers. Oh my goodness, okay, 180 more hires coming here. Peter, what's going on? You say there's no plan. They're hiring police officers all over the place here. Yes, and they've also got well over 100 police officers who are not deployable at the moment to the RCMP and are essentially doing other duties other than uh, frontline policing duties. Look, there's something interesting in these numbers too. Mike uh, Sear mentions 215 currently deployed. They've been using, yeah. the Surrey Police Service has been using the figure of 250 up to very recently. And I, I checked with the RCP yesterday. They estimate that their numbers uh, as of yesterday were 190, that they had 190 Surrey Police Service officers working with 540 RCMP. So to suggest wow. that they're going to get up and have an additional 180 this year, you know, about the only place you can, how you can do that without really destabilizing policing throughout the lower mainland by pulling from other departments and offering bonuses or whatever is to take retired officers and uh, encourage retirees to come over. A lot of them are not deployable for the very reason why police officers get essentially early pensions. It's a tough job. And, and you, you need, uh, essentially, uh, young people and deployable uh, individuals. Uh, the RCMP, like I said, has approximately 190 as of yesterday. Uh, there's so far to go. It, it's, without a plan, uh, I, I'd say it's, it, it just can't happen. Is, is the city of Surrey in a position to pay these new police officers? I mean, we recently saw the story where the city said that they would not pay 10 newly hired Surrey Police Service officers and the union over there are very unhappy about that. Now you've got this budget saying, oh, there's more coming. We're going to hire 180 more here. Is the city of Surrey going to pay the salaries of these officers? Well, yeah, Mike, the, the issue, that you're, the earlier issue involving the 10 hires, um, this, that, that is a case where the um, Surrey Police Service was advised, you are over budget, you are hugely over budget, somewhere in the area of $23 million. Uh, do not continue spending money. Do not hire unless you get budget approval. They didn't get budget approval and they continued hiring. Um, now, uh, so that's one issue. The issue today is uh, you have this provisional budget. The city is is in the process of developing its operating budget for 2024. As part of that process, they will be looking at this submission. It will then go to city council who make a decision. And city council has to balance everything else. They have to look at education. They have to have, look at health. They have to look at everything else, schools, you know. And, um, you know, do we have money? And, and do we have money to allow people essentially to... Uh, you know, work at the Surrey Police Service and and not 
on the front line, not not being deployable. And and I, I just fear that the more you hire uh, in terms of retired officers, the more you're going to find are not deployable. Why are they not deployable? Well, there's different reasons. Um, you know, they're either there's been a top down hiring for one thing. So you've got people with a lot of rank. Um, and and what the RCMP needs are people that work the front line, and and they mm. still they're still using, of course, RCMP officers to do that. But this has been this obsession with um, with numbers rather than a plan. I mean, think about this: uh, even if they had 180 more officers this year, I, presumably um, they're hoping that that will allow them to have 50 percent of the strength of the detachment. Well, if they're not deployable, that's a problem. On top mm. of that. Uh, are you suggesting that the RCP officers are able to work for a police board? There's no agreement in place for that. The RCP has a union. You can't simply say the RCP will now be working for a police chief, uh, a municipal police chief, or a police board. So okay. all of these things have not been have, have not been figured out. Okay, the the Surrey Police Service here is saying that this is going forward. It's full steam ahead. We're hiring all these officers. Here's our budget. Let's go. And they want the city to start cooperating and also start winding down the Mounties. It's time to phase out the RCMP in Surrey. Let's listen again to Mike Sir here, the administrator for Surrey Police Service, and I'll get your thoughts. This budget is dependent on the winding down of the Surrey RCMP to complement the growth of SPS. In order to contain costs, we need to work with our partners in the RCMP and the city of Surrey on eliminating the overlap in administrative costs that come with having two police agencies working within the city. Peter, what is your advice to the city? Is that going to happen? You're going to start winding down oh, oh, the RCMP? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Well, Mike, let's be very clear. There is only one police uh, force of jurisdiction in the city of Surrey, and that is the RCMP. This is not a blended police situation. You don't want to have two bosses at the radio station. You don't want to have two mm -hmm. police chiefs. There is only one. So and at this point, the province has not... Um, uh, given notice under the, uh, the the municipal police unit agreement, which is what allows the RCMP to be a, a contract police force. So the, the RCMP continues to be that police force. Um, the RCMP is actively looking at every uh, suggested deployment by the Surrey Police Service. And they, they brought in 10, that, that, which increased their numbers from about 180 to 190, which is that figure I gave you earlier. Um, so the RCMP has continued to do that, but they need officers that are deployable on the front line. There's not much, you know, good in giving them a deputy chief or a superintendent um, who is not working the front line. That's what they need. Peter, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts. We are following this very closely. Appreciate it. Mike, I appreciate your following it so closely. And thanks very much. All right, let's talk about getting our kids outside now, playing in the fresh air and sunshine. Remember when kids used to do that? Have we become overly protective of our children? Are we too worried about kids getting hurt or injured at the playground? Is a little risky play actually good for our kids? That's what the Canadian Pediatric Society said in a brand new report this week. Calls for more risky play. For children, they define it as any thrilling and exciting free play that involves the possibility of physical injury. They say that can actually improve physical, mental, and social health. I've got Mariana Brussoni standing by to discuss this now. I remember, boy, I remember when I was a kid, 
Man, we'd go to the local playground. There was <laughs> there was some dangerous equipment uh, down there. I remember getting uh, more than a few skin knees and even worse down there playing there, but it was fun. Have a listen to these parents talking about riskier play at the playground. Have a listen. You know, at the end of the day, you're never going to be able to protect uh, your kids from everything that sort of could happen to them, and so uh, you have to get them to learn for themselves how to kind of handle themselves and, and uh, be able to pick themselves up. Well, the hope is also to raise a generation of kids that um, feel comfortable with trying new things and being creative and feel comfortable failing. Feel comfortable failing. That's an interesting way to put it. Let's discuss now with my guest, Mariana Brussoni. Mariana's professor and director, Human Early Learning Partnership and head of the Play Outside Lab at UBC. Mariana, thank you very much for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting topic. And when we take a look at this report, Canadian Pediatric Society, risky play is uh, not not that bad a thing here for kids, even if it involves a risk of injury. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, our yeah. our research is based on this, so we've been um, we've been really encouraging and advocating for this. So it's very exciting to see the Canadian Pediatric Society get behind this idea. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Okay, physical injury. Now, <laughs> when I hear that term, I think, whoa, wait a sec. I want to take a risk of my kid getting injured here. How is that a good thing? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, so I've, I've been doing injury prevention research for over two decades now. Um, so I know this uh, the statistics intimately. And where we used to be was trying to keep kids as safe as possible, trying to prevent yeah. every little injury. Um, but what we didn't realize at the time is kind of the knockoff effects of that, where, you know, kids then weren't getting outside, they weren't getting physically active, they weren't uh, learning about their own risk management skills and testing out what they could do and learning about the world. And so now we've moved to an approach which keeps keeps kids as safe as necessary. So the idea being that we're trying to prevent the most serious injuries and of course, deaths. Um, And so in play, really, you know, the statistics show serious injuries are extremely rare. Yes, kids get hurt. There's bumps, bruises. There's even the occasional broken arms. But these are not the kinds of injuries we're concerned about because there's so many benefits to this kind of play. Yeah. And that trend, that's interesting. Safe as possible versus safe as necessary. Um, How did you see that manifest, that trend that we saw of getting being as safe as we possibly can. How did that manifest itself in, say, the design of playgrounds? Did playgrounds become kind of boring? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody can look around at playgrounds uh, these days and see that they're very universally similar. Um, and so the um, there were standards that came in that lowered the height of playgrounds, uh, changed the surfacing, and and really tried to limit risk as much as possible, not recognizing that that risk is a necessary part of childhood. So there were aspects of those standards that were positive, you know, that things that that needed to be addressed, like, um, you know, getting uh, head entrapment hazards or things like that. But uh, a lot of those standards really uh, was an overreach and has now resulted in playgrounds that that are that can be quite boring to kids, especially, you know, if you think about a school playground where kids are playing that equipment day after day after day for years, it gets really, really boring really quickly. Yeah. Speaking to Mariana Brussoni, UBC, about risky play for kids. Speaking of uh, head entrapment, that brings back a memory for me because I remember when I was a kid, 
at our local neighborhood playground, there was um, a merry-go-round. It's also I've also learned it's been known as a playground spinner. And what this thing was was basically a giant steel platter, and it had some bars on there, and you could have a whole bunch of kids, and it would spin around super fast. And, you know, kids would get dizzy or throw up. Sometimes kids would fall off. But I, I was just reading about there have there were some bad accidents with that particular piece of equipment. I played on it all the time, but there was a gap between the, the steel platter and the ground. You kid could get trapped under there and be terribly injured. Like is is that an example of you know, just some common sense design? Maybe that's one that was we should have phased out. Well, yeah, that is a good example. Um, but you can also yeah. think about how to keep that kind of activity going while changing the design of the equipment, right? Um, and, right. and that's what the playground standards are meant to do. Don't get rid of the equipment. Think about how to design it so that you're avoiding the most serious injuries. Yeah. Yeah. How about the monkey bars? Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I remember my friend fell off the monkey bars once. And, and I think I don't can't remember he broke his arm or sprained his arm. Anyway, he got hurt. Uh, so are there there were standards that made them like lowered them basically well lowered them and changed the surfacing under them right um yeah. and so monkey bars are are still kind of one of those things when we look at stats they're they're one of the ones that are where we see the most injuries but think about the alternative right that we don't have kids kind of moving along on these monkey bars, building their upper body strength and their physical movement skills. Um, and so that we've seen actually that when kids don't have these opportunities, they they their upper body actually become quite weakened and they don't develop those those kinds of muscles that they need to be able to to keep themselves moving and and be able to manage other sorts of uh, physical activity. So the solution again is not to get rid of these. It's really to uh, to encourage children to have lots of opportunities and to do so in a way that we're thinking about, you know, preventing the most serious injuries. We're not yeah. worried about broken arms. Yeah, right, right. Of course, we don't want to see catastrophic injuries of kids. Nobody wants to see that. But you know, for for kids though, I'm just trying to think of it from the kids' perspective too. Like, if you have uh, a set of climbing bars or something that is maybe a little bit higher off the ground. I mean, this is this is what kids like to do for fun, right? I mean, they this report is talking about thrilling or exciting play for kids. So isn't that, is it more fun for the kid to play on some of this uh, equipment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one yeah. of the kinds of risky play is play at heights. Um, yes. And what you see when kids don't get enough risk from the equipment is they start using it in ways that it's not intended, right? Like, for example, balancing on the very top of the bars, right, where they're they're quite high off the ground. Uh, and so we really do need to offer uh, opportunities for kids of various ages and, and levels of a comfort with risk and ability to, to feel that risk. How about the teeter-totter? I remember being at the top of the teeter-totter and your, your friend would jump off the teeter-totter so you go slam it onto the ground. They still got teeter-totters? Is that still a thing? They're, they're still around here and there, oh, okay. absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's that's another one though though. I mean, do you think those are safe? You know, I think that uh, you know any kind of equipment. So what we want to think about equipment is is not so much what the adults' perspective on that equipment, but what 
movement does it afford for children? So children don't think of, of equipment as, you know, that's a monkey bar or whatever. They think of it as climbing um, or yeah. swinging, you know, or jumping or those sorts of things. So we want to think about equipment in those terms. Can yeah. we afford as much of those diverse movements for kids as possible? Right. And then I guess playground design is an in, a really interesting part of this uh, issue. Then you've just got the attitudes of parents. Like, what about climbing, you know, your kid climbing up a tree? You know, is that something that should worry you? There was this story out of uh, Toronto recently where they they banned tobogganing on some local hills because they were worried about kids getting hurt while they're tobogganing. You know, do you think that's going too far? Do you think parents need to adjust their attitudes? Well, we, we actually do a lot of work with parents, and we have a tool for parents on our website, outsideplay.org, to help them rethink these things. But what we found in general is that the biggest barrier to this kind of play is is adult fears, right? And so it's our fears as parents, uh, you know, as educators, as policymakers, uh, that are at the center of what we're, you know, deciding to let kids do. So we're managing, you know, that makes me nervous, that makes me afraid, I'm afraid of liability, rather than thinking about what does this child need and putting children at the center of these decisions. We we know a lot about how to adjust environments to uh, manage hazards and keep risks. And so there are uh, opportunities to really even look at, at quite diverse uh, environments like tobogganing hills to think about how can we make sure that kids can still use these hills while, you know, making sure that you know, they don't toboggan into traffic, for example. Yeah, just check, just checking out the website as you're speaking, or a really cool looking website. Um, take a risk, go play outside, you know, helping parents, caregivers, educators get the confidence for their kids' outdoor play. It's a really, really cool idea. Where do you think this has to go from now? I mean, you've done some awesome research here, and we've got this new report out on it this week. Where does it go from here? Do you need governments to start replying or responding on this kind of stuff? Yeah, it, well, it's a multi-sectoral thing, right? So you need yeah. you need work at all levels. So we've been working with parents, but we've also been working with childcare and schools um, and recreation providers and, and municipal planners. You know, because we have to think about how we design kiddies to uh, cities to support kids, right? Um, and some of the policies at the provincial and national levels to make sure that we're putting children at the center. Um, but one of the things that's really concerned us is rather than putting the onus on parents and yet another thing that parents have to do and worry about, we want to think about how do we, uh, you know, target the places where kids spend most of their time in childcare and in schools? And how do we support educators to be able to bring this kind of play and this kind of play philosophy to mm. to these places? And yeah, so that... we've, we've actually just released a tool for teachers to do precisely that. That's that's great. I love it. And and last question for you. Would you say that this is more important than ever at a time when we're seeing more reports of childhood obesity? We see kids who are spending more time on screens and, and maybe not getting the, the movement and outdoor play that they need. Not just uh, obesity and physical activity, but also mental health uh, and yeah. well-being. And that's really what the Canadian Pediatric Society report has pointed out. Pediatricians are seeing ever-increasing amounts of kids dealing with these very challenging issues. And they're pointing to the fact that this kind of play is actually a very important tool in kind of managing these, these big issues. Okay. Uh, thank you for coming on today. I think, the, I think the work you've been doing is terrific. And uh, it's a really interesting report this week. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about unlicensed drivers on the road in BC. Are we seeing a surge in unlicensed drivers because of the phase out of those stickers from ICBC you used to put on your license plate? Remember that? Everybody remembers that, right? You'd renew your ICBC, you get the sticker, you get the new decal, put it on the back of your vehicle on your license plate. And then you were good to go. Remember, they phased that out. Now, why is that happening? Check out what's going on here now. In the Kootenays, BC Highway Patrol reporting they caught 177 uninsured drivers in a two-day crackdown. 177 in just two days. They believe it's because drivers are not required to display that sticker on their license plates anymore. Maybe people think like, hmm, okay, if I don't have to show the sticker anymore, cops, I can get away with it. The RCMP in Coquitlam also reporting an an upsurge, an uptake in number of uninsured drivers. Got Grant Gottkittrew standing by to discuss trans, a former traffic police officer. Let's go back in time here now. Go back in the Wayback Machine. Mike Farnworth here, the Solicitor General, 2022, announcing this phase-out of those decals. Let's listen. Today, we're also excited to announce the discontinuation of license plate validation decals. This change, effective May 1st in conjunction with online renewals, will reduce incidents of theft and misuse and will free up police resources which are currently used to investigate these crimes. Safety on our roads remains of critical importance, which is why we're committed to keeping uninsured drivers off BC roads. Okay, well, uh, some evidence here that they're not doing very well at keeping uninsured drivers off the road after they phased out those ICBC license plate decals let's discuss with my guest grant got grant is a former traffic police officer he is now a forensic consultant on traffic offenses forensic traffic pro.com grant thank you for coming on always my pleasure mike thanks for having okay me. grant thank you for doing this i remember when this was phased out this one of the things that went through my mind was hmm would some people now be tempted to drive without insurance if they know that sticker is not on the back of their vehicle anymore. Because I remember every year, the color of the decal was different too, right? And which to me, the reason for the different color decals each year was so it'd be obvious to the police. Is that correct? Like the police would see this and they'd be able to spot an expired sticker easily. Is that how it worked? Yeah, and and easier for the owner of the car to say, oh, there's new decals coming out. I better make sure I have my car insured. And, right. Uh, yeah. But listening to what, yeah, but listening to what Mike said there about you know theft and misuse and whatnot. I love it when people who have never spent a day as a cop talk about you know what certain things will decrease. Um, you know, validation decals were very, very hard to scrape off and steal. And they generally split and cracked when you mm. did. And it really did draw attention on yourself. But it's not going to stop someone from stealing your license plate. 
It's the license yeah. plates that are predominantly stolen a lot more than validation decals. And there's not much hmm. of an investigation for the police because Crown won't take those charges of, of theft of license plate or theft of validation decal. They'll, so the police, the, 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 the crux of the police investigation was here's a ticket for no insurance. Did you <laughs> so, ever did you ever catch Grant? Did you ever catch an uninsured driver back when you were a traffic police officer? Did you ever catch an uninsured driver because you spotted an expired decal? Hundreds, hundreds wow. and hundreds of them. And also not only expired decals, but uh, altered decals. Because sometimes the, uh, the the person would uh, take a Sharpie and, and change the, the month or, or the year <laughs> to be sneaky. You know, yeah. um, it, it, it generally was unsuccessful to the trained eye of a traffic officer. But uh, um, I'm not surprised that... Uh, no insurance has hit the roof now because, as I said, the, the, at least having the decal on the back of your car was a constant reminder when you go to your car. Oh, I, my insurance coming up. I better, I better uh, remember to insure my car shortly. I mean, they do send you a reminder in the mail. Sure. But that's generally a month or so in advance. Well, the person's going to get in the mail. They're not going to go insure their car that day. They're going to be waiting and they'll put it aside and then they'll forget. And of course, with the decal not being there, it's going to increase, obviously, uninsured drivers on the road. Yeah, for sure. It was a good reminder, for sure. And I think people will be familiar with that or remember that. If you saw that decal on the back of your vehicle, you go, okay, boy, it's time to renew that insurance. It was a, a visual reminder anytime you looked at your vehicle license plate. For sure. Now, Farnworth says, look, we are trying to keep uninsured drivers off the road, but here's the deal. Yeah, we're getting rid of these stickers on your license plate, but guess what? Police will have electronic readers in their vehicle. They'll be able to take a basically take a picture of any license plate, run it through their computer, and they'll know right away if you're insured or not. They don't need these decals anymore. Here is Farnworth explaining that, Grant, and then I'll get your thoughts. With the advance of technology, the need for validation decals has been reduced. In recent years, police departments have been adding license plate readers to their fleets. These readers quickly recognize the lettering and numbering on a license plate, enabling officers to obtain the status of a vehicle's insurance while on the road. Okay, well, that kind of makes sense. Grant, your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, it's called the Automatic License Plate Reader, ALPR for short, and uh, they're not very prevalent out there. Not oh. every department has those. Um, and, uh, you, you know, a lot of the places that do have them maybe have them on one or two vehicles only. And they are a royal pain in the ass to use because if you're driving, because we, we had them when I was at Ursa. And if you're mobile and you're driving down Granville or any busy street and you get a notify that there's an uninsured vehicle, it takes the officer a moment to look at the screen and go, which car is it? Oh, it's this car. And now you're looking up and now you're trying to find that car. Mm. So it, it, from a practical purpose, we would set it up stationary at the side of the road, but only one car, only one ALPR car. You might have a car, a 10, a 10 in a fleet, and only one of them has the uh, license plate reader. So um, it's, he's, he's, he's kind of stretching it a bit there. Because would you say, would you, okay, would you say that the decals that have been phased out were a more effective way of catching uninsured drivers? Oh, 100%. Because, yeah. right. 
now it's with no one having decals anymore it's going to be pretty random to get stopped um uh for no insurance yeah. the officer would have to be running your plate now so now the officers are going to be running more and more license plates in their car while they're driving um you know increasing more time for them to have their eyes off the road and looking at their screens Okay, let's play another clip of Farnworth here explaining why they did this. And you'll hear him talk about a cost saving here. So they say the phase out of these decals actually saved money. They were able to take some of that saved money. He talks about a million bucks here and put it into these electronic readers for police so they don't need these license plate decals anymore. And he said this is it's going to be a cheaper system to run. So have a listen to him here and I'll get your thoughts. Mike Farnworth. To enhance and expand the plate reader program to effectively transition away from the need for validation decals, ICBC is providing police agencies in British Columbia with a one-time $1 million in grant funding towards these plate readers. Funding for this investment is offset by removing the manufacturing and distribution of the decals and keeps money in the pockets of British Columbians. Okay, keeps money in your pocket here. It'll, it'll be cheaper, but man, if you got a ton of uninsured drivers on the road, if they get into an accident, how much does that cost? Grant, your thoughts on this? He's, he's an amazing fiction teller. I tell you, he should write <laughs> books because there's, there's, there's a reality here. And the reason why they phased out the decals that's nothing to do with saving money because if they wanted to save money they 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 trim the, the 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 heads of ICBC and inside the company there and start you know saving money that way the reason yeah. why they went to, away from the decals is because you can now insure online yes yes and insuring online is easy peasy and it's great but yeah. there's no way to get you a decal yeah yeah so that's why they've done it they're yeah. not saving like what? After fifty some odd years of having decals, now they have an epiphany. Go, oh, well, we're going to save money, people. Look at us. No, you're not. You're you're doing it because you go, it's now done online. But here's the problem: no decals. Yeah. So, and people are getting caught. Yeah, they are. My they wife, are. You can't you can't deny. It. Go ahead, your wife. Yeah. My wife. Yeah. We were driving her car a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And we get pulled over. Her insurance has expired because there's no decal. Mm. Right. So now, luckily, what, she what? She just forgot. Of course, she did. Yeah. Yeah. But I was driving, mm, and oh. and I mean, the officer was very fair. He would have done what I what I used to do, what which was just park it in the parking lot and get insurance. Yeah. And no ticket because mm. it was a fresh expiry. Because that that's generally what, what I would do, even in traffic. If it was within a week of expiring, okay, just park it. And, and go get insurance. If it was a couple of months, that's different, obviously. And, okay. and depending on who the driver was too, right? If it's, it's granny good cookies, okay, she probably forgot. I'll cut her some slack, mm. even if it's been two months, right? Okay, we got lots of calls here on uninsured drivers. Paul and Kamloops. Hi, Paul, go ahead. Oh, hi. I'd like to just say that it's a huge pain in my butt. I, uh, I drove from the middle of August until Thanksgiving without insurance on my truck by accident. I got a whole glove box full of papers, and I used to be able to just look at plates and see if it was going to expire or not. Now i got to just be a little more diligent about it and try to do better. So you think the decal, the license plate decal would have reminded you? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. When did you, when did you figure out that you'd... That you you didn't have insurance? Did you get stopped by police? 
No, I was uh, loaded up with my travel trailer heading out for the for the weekend, and uh, I was looking for something in my glove box, and it dawned on me that I forgot to renew it in August. Oh, boy. Okay, Thanks, Paul, for sharing that. Yeah, I, I think this is maybe he's not alone here. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike. Morning. Um, really simple solution to this. Uh, you insure your, insure your, sorry, you insure your vehicle online. You now have a valid insurance paper in your hand. Then ICBC mails out the tags to you, which arrive maybe three, four, five days later, and you put them on the vehicle. If yeah. you get pulled over and you don't have your decals on there, you still have valid insurance papers to show the officer. Really simple. Yeah, I don't no. know why they can't figure this stuff out. I mean, perhaps I came up with that in 30 seconds, and I'm not a good <laughs> Thank you for the call. Grant, what do you think of that? Yeah, just send the stickers out by mail. Your thoughts? Too complicated. But there's a bigger issue here, if I can just say. It's, there's a liability issue here, too, because now you've got so much more people driving out insurance inadvertently. If they get into a collision, Ooh. Th- then they're not covered. Yeah. And any money that ICBC has to pay the other party to fix the repair or whatnot, they're going to come after you to, to, to foot what they've paid. There's a huge, so what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot more of these and ICBC knows this. They know yes. that if you're not covered, you're screwed if you get into a collision. So yeah. they're creating a bigger issue. They're creating people are going to be financially ruined because of this. Mm. Steve and Delta. Hi, Steve, go ahead. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, as you know, I'm a government skeptic. You know, here we go. They say they're going to save money the police are going to be less busy. So they wrote 300 tickets. How could that be less busy? A, a decal's 10 cents. A reader's probably 10,000 bucks. And how much did they pay for this online program? You know, it, it's it's so hilarious. They just want to justify their wasted money that they spent on these readers. And it's a money grab because now they're going to, you know, grab, you know, a thousand people a year and charge them 500 bucks, you know, so there's half a million dollars in fines. So it's a money mm. grab and it's wasting cops' time okay. for, a, for a 10 cent decal. Thank you, Steve. Squeeze another call in. Pete in Vancouver. Hi, Pete. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, one guy I know, he was driving uh, nine months without insurance. Oh, got man. Pulled, got pulled over. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the, the thing is, is that. Uh, those car, those cars with the readers, um, what they do is they just download the cost to whatever agency you know got the million bucks for the readers. And how many? You just do just do the numbers. This is so crazy. Just look at the department. Let's say City of Vancouver. How many cars have the readers? And how many hours a day are they actually doing that? They're not doing that. Just some patrol cars have the readers. Well, how often are they used? It's minuscule. Farnsworth has been that the 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 brain dead teddy bear for 20 years in politics and he's a liar that's all there's to it well what did, what did he lie about what, what do you mean he's a liar what did he lie about so you're a sucker because you believe what huh? he says anytime something comes out of the word of a politician you know he's lying and you yeah you're you're a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a sucker man what do, you, what do you think you think i take all this stuff verbatim from these guys give me a break uh, Grant, thank you for coming on. That guy ticked me off. Grant, thank you I, for coming on. I can tell, yes. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.